standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. I'd like to invite those who are able, as we begin, to invite the Lord's presence. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I thank thee for thy will, and I pray that thy will may be accomplished in each and every one of our lives. And I pray in a special way, as we open thy word, and as we come, Father, to, to seek instruction from thee, that thou will pour out thy spirit upon us, that thou will turn our minds heavenward, I pray for the presence of thy holy angels to be here. I pray that thy spirit will move upon each and every heart. That our thoughts and our minds may be directed to thee. That as Jesus prayed, I, even I, be lifted up. I will draw all men unto me. Father, this is my hope and prayer that thy word may glorify thee this day. And I pray also that the words that are spoken by thy servant, that they too may glorify thee. To this end, I pray that thou will be with my lips. I pray, Father, sanctify my lips and my words, that all that I say, Father, may glorify thee and bring thee honor. And I pray and ask all of these things in the precious name of thy Son, Jesus. Amen. I want to share a, a subject today. I've entitled Ancient Characters. And I want to give just a little bit of introduction. I've kind of subtitled it From Creation to Babel. We're going to be looking at the history of the Bible from creation to the Tower of Babel or Babel. And we're going to be looking at it from a different perspective. I just want to give a little introduction to this message because it came to me years ago when I was looking into the Bible, trying to answer the question in my own mind, why do I believe it? Why do I believe it to be the inspired Word of God? Is there any evidence that would lead me to conclude this, other than the feeling that's in my heart and the experience that I have had over the years by following the things that are written therein? Is there anything in this world that testifies to the fact that it is indeed the Word of God and that what it says is true? And this is one of the things that came to me during those years when I was kind of putting together a series on the evidences of the truth in God's Word. And this is going to be dealing with uh, language in particular. I had noticed some things, some statements that were made in the book of Genesis, and I'll just I'll share them with you here briefly. And you'll notice that I, I kind of pursue my Bible studies in a scientific way a lot of times, so you'll have to forgive me. I made an observation that the meaning of a word, particularly those words we find in Scripture, but you can apply this outside of the Bible as well, that the meaning of a word, when it first appears, tends to persist throughout its use. In other words, when you first encounter a word in the Bible, 
the meaning that it has there will persist throughout the Bible. That meaning. Secondly, I noticed that people originally spoke one language. And that language, all their words had one meaning. And you can find that in Genesis 11, verse 1. I also noticed another fact. That in that same chapter, verse 9, God scattered the nations at the Tower of Babel. And that words tell stories. Now, all these observations might seem a bit confusing, but I made a prediction based on these observations. And then I'm going to share a little bit of that story behind this. The first was that the language of a people who were long isolated, disconnected from the Western world and its religions, which had remained ideographic in its nature. That is, that instead of having a syllabic type of uh, alphabet, they had what would be considered a picture type of alphabet, where their words actually told a story. And you find a lot of the ancient languages had this type of alphabet. So a, a language of a people who were long isolated, disconnected from the Western world and its religions, which had remained ideographic with little change, would contain the story of man from creation to Babel. That was my prediction. That if the Bible were true, and the story told in Genesis were true, that there would be a language that existed in the world that would contain that story in its language, provided its language was ideographic and that its letters actually told a story. And a little bit of the history behind this, probably nine years ago, I would say, a friend of mine sent me uh, a link to a video. And in that video, there was a gentleman who was presenting, uh, he was a, a Taiwanese, I believe, and he was showing how that the, the Chinese alphabet actually contained some of the biblical story in, in, their, in their letters, in their characters, I might be a more proper term to refer to them. And that interests me. I thought, is that true? And then I made these observations, and I determined that if that were true, and those the definitions and meaning to these characters were true, then I predicted we would find the story from creation to Babel, when all the nations were scattered, that that story would be contained in their characters. And I'm, what I'm going to share with you today is going to be the result of that study. But I want to give a little bit of history, and the next prediction would be that given the historic and linguistic evidence, the characters of the Chinese language would contain the evidence of this. Now, that was my prediction. I had no evidence yet to prove it. But I had made those observations based on what I had seen in that video, and the observations that I made from reading in the Word of God led me to that conclusion. But I had yet to prove it. And what I'm going to be sharing with you today is the evidence that I found. So, a little bit on the history of the Chinese language. 
History tells us that the Chinese language was given to us by what they know as their first emperor. Now, in Chinese history, he's considered a mythological character, but some historians actually believe that he was a real human being. His name was Huangdi, which is Chinese for yellow emperor, or the first emperor of China. He was the one responsible for giving to the Chinese their alphabet, or creating the Chinese alphabet. He was, in other words, the inventor of the Chinese language. And from history, it seems very plausible that he was a descendant of the individual known as Magog in Genesis chapter uh, 11, or Gen chapter 10, excuse me, who was the father of the people known to the Greeks as the Scuthos, or Scythians, to the Assyrians as the Saka, to the Latins as the Oriens, or the Orientals, and to the Hebrews as the Sinim. And interestingly, that word Sinim is the name still used in China today as the ancient name for the people of China. So this was my prediction. And history seemed to validate some of that. And here's a little bit of a, a time graph so you can understand. This is just from the flood to the establishment of the kingdom of Babylon in 606. So you have around 2400 B.C. to 606 B.C. And you can see the Tower of Babel on the screen here, around somewhere around 2242 B.C., if the biblical chronology is correct, and I believe it is. You can see Abraham, the birth of Abraham, at around 1996 B.C. Genesis is said to have been written sometime in the 15th, 16th century, around 1550 B.C. But Huangdi, if the, the chronology is correct, places him somewhere just prior to Abraham, around 2100 B.C., shortly after the Tower of Babel. And you have the earliest known writing in Chinese dates to around 1250 B.C. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't earlier, but the earliest known writings of the Chinese date somewhere around 1250 B.C., and it's very similar to the modern Chinese today. And the Chinese style of writing comes from an ancient type of writing called cuneiform. How many here are familiar with cuneiform? Okay. This is just a little article regarding cuneiform. I'll go ahead and read it to you so you get a bit of an idea. It says, in cuneiform, a carefully cut writing implement known as a stylus is pressed into soft clay to produce wedge-like impressions that represent word or signs, pictographs, and later phonograms or word concepts that is closer to a modern-day understanding of a word. All of the great Mesopotamian civilizations used cuneiform. The Sumerians, Akkadians, Babylonians, Elamites, Hatti, Hittites, Assyrians, Hurrians, and others, until it was abandoned in favor of the alphabetic script at some point after 100 BCE or 100 BC. Now this told me that the Chinese alphabet is a cuneic alphabet derived from the cuneiform. And in fact, if you look at just a couple examples here, you see that on the left you have an example of uh, cuneiform. On the top 
box, you have those that were found in Mesopotamia. In the central box, those found in Egypt. And the lower one, those found in China. All these are examples of cuneiform writing. And you notice that they tell a story. They depict an idea rather than simply a sound, as we have today in our alphabet, made up of sounds. And you combine those sounds, you get an idea. But here, you have an actual picture which portrayed an, a concept, a story, as it were. And on the right, you can see some other examples of cuneiform and how it evolved over time from around that these dates are, are purely arbitrary. I would say sometime shortly after the flood to around the establishment of the Neo-Babylonian Empire around 600 BC, you can see the transformation of these cuneiform pictures. And I have another example here. These are golden earrings from the second king of Ur, which was the ancient city from which Abraham came. He was from Ur of the Chaldees. And its second king, Shulgi, these were uh, not too long ago discovered. And you can see on these golden earrings, cuneiform writing. And it looks very similar to Chinese and to a lot of the Oriental type of writing because the Orientals are one of the only people in the world today that have retained the cuneiform type of writing in their alphabet. It's an ideographic type. And so what I'm going to be sharing with you is what I have found in going back and looking at the story of Genesis and taking the, the concepts that are found from chapters 1 to 11 and looking at them as they are told to us from the actual characters in the Chinese alphabet. So we're going to begin with creation. Now the word create, I'm not going to bother pronouncing some of these words because my Chinese is not the greatest. The Chinese word for create is made up of two symbols, which indicate to us movement on the one hand, which is kind of the, the radical part of the verb to move, and the second is to declare or to tell. Those combined make up the word create. Now, what does this tell us? Well, Genesis chapter 1 says, verses 1 and 3, that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then that creation is explained in the following verse, or verse 3. It says, and the Spirit of God did what? Moved upon the, the face of the waters, and God said or told. So the first time this idea of creation is brought to view in the scriptures, we have the movement and a declaration, which is found in the Chinese character to create. That story is told of a movement and then a declaration being made. And that it makes up the sign for creation in Chinese. Now also is the word for origin or first. It's made up, likewise, of two characters. It's made up of the numeral two and the character for child. So origin, you have two people. It's the word for first, 
or origin in Chinese. So you can see from this character that Chinese believed the biblical story, that in Genesis 1.27, God made them male and female. Two are the origin of the human race. And the word for original or first, it tells the story of two people. Even more interesting, at the very end of Genesis chapter 1, God blesses Adam and Eve. Now, the character fu, which is a Chinese word for blessing, probably one of the most important words in the Chinese language, they love this word blessing, is made up of two characters. It tells of a revelation. It comes from the root for the verb to reveal, and plus the root of the word to fill. Now, what did God, what was the, the substance or concept in God's first blessing? It says, and God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill, literally in the Hebrew, fill the earth. God's first blessing that he pronounced upon the human race was a revelation to them to fill the earth. And that story is told in the Chinese word blessing. It tells us that there was a revelation to mankind to fill the earth. Now we come to chapter 2 and 3. I've entitled it The Garden. It gets even more interesting when you come out of the original, the first chapter, and you come into chapters 2 and 3. You have the story of uh, the more in-depth creation of Adam and Eve and the creation of the garden. And it's interesting, that word garden. Garden, yuan in Chinese, is made up of two characters. A lot of these words are made up of two characters, you'll notice. You have one inside of another. Interesting. You may have noticed the first character that is inside the other. It's the word for original or first, right? So it tells of the first dwelling that or enclosure. A garden uh, in Hebrew and ancient languages is a word that means enclosure. It was the first dwelling or home, the original home. That's the word for garden in Chinese. It tells the story of man's first home. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So the story that we read in our Bible Genesis chapter 2, of God creating a garden and putting man there, making that his first home, is told to us in this character. But it gets even more interesting. We also have a declaration made in chapter 2 of a prohibition to man. God forbade them to do something. And that, in Chinese, is the word xin, forbid or prohibit. It, too, is made up of two characters. Those two characters tell the story of a revelation about trees. Two, in fact. What was the revelation given to man? The first prohibition 
It was concerning two trees. One they may freely eat of, and the other they were prohibited to eat from, or forbidden to eat from. That story is told in the Chinese word to forbid. Notice, its first occurrence, that meaning, remains with it. That meaning has remained in this character down to our present day. It still retains the idea of prohibition, and it tells the story that we know in the Genesis account. So now we come to chapter 3 and the fall. And some of the most interesting characters are found in this story. The first is Mo, which is a Chinese word for devil. Chapter 3 is where the devil is introduced. But what are the circumstances regarding his introduction? Where is the devil introduced? At the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, correct? You have three characters that make up this character, Mo. You'll notice the one, we've already gone over it, it's a symbol for trees. But the other two, you have cover, trees, and devil, which tells the story of a devil under cover of trees. Where were those trees? Well, in the garden. So the first time the devil is introduced, it happens to be in the trees. And that story of the devil and the conversation that he had with Eve is told in this character for the word devil. Remember the first time that the word is used, that that idea is carried throughout. And the first time that the serpent is introduced happens to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's undercover. He's hiding. He's not presenting himself as the real devil, is he? No, he comes under cover, just as the character tells us. Also, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? At the same time, you have the word lan, for greed or greedy. Now, where does this, the origin of this word? Well, it, it tells us you have the word or the character for trees and the character for a woman. Where was the first instance where greed happened in the Bible? When the woman lusted after that which God had prohibited her or forbidden her to take. It says, and the woman took of the fruit thereof and did eat. She was greedy. And what was the result of that? They were naked, right? The result of their disobedience resulted in naked. And the word for naked, interestingly enough, talks about clothing and fruit. Now what connection does fruit have to do with clothing or lack thereof? Unless you know the biblical account, that when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they became shamed of their nakedness. Just as the Bible tells us, and they took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they were ashamed. Just as the Bible tells us, this story is conveyed to us in the character for naked. It tells us that the nakedness was the result of the loss of the, their clothing, was the eating of the fruit. What other connection could there be? 
chapter 4 introduces the children of Adam and Eve. And the story even gets more interesting. The word xiong, which is the word for elder brother in Chinese, has the character for child under it, as well as the character for head or first, the first child, the elder brother. Now, the first child is brought to view in Genesis chapter 4. It relates to the story of Cain. How many here are familiar with the story of Cain? Hopefully all of you are. He is the elder brother, correct? It tells us, chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, the elder brother, or elder child. Now, you take the same character, has the same pronunciation. It's the word for murderer. But notice, there's a little addition. It has the head, but with a mark on it. The murderer. Who was the first murderer? The elder brother. The story of Genesis, chapter 4. The prediction is coming true. The story of Genesis is being told in the very characters of this language. The story, as we, as we know it, in the book of Genesis, relating to the creation, the Garden of Eden, the fall, and the first murder, have been told us in these characters, in the very language that we find it in the Bible. Well, you have the character of the head with the mark is the character for violent or ferocious and also son. So it tells of the violent son who was the first murderer. And it says that the Lord set a mark upon Cain that any finding him should kill him, just as the Bible declares. Cain, the elder brother, was the one that received the mark. Now we come to chapter 7 and 8 in regard to the flood. The word for ship, which is the first time a boat or a ship is introduced in scriptures, it tells us of the story. Now you have three characters that make up this single character within this, uh, in the Chinese language or alphabet. Those three characters are the word for ship, for the number eight, and the symbol for mouths or heads. So you have a ship containing eight mouths. What does the Bible tell us? The first time a ship is introduced, well, you have Noah, his wife, his three sons, and the three wives. Just as you find in 1 Peter 3, verse 20, that there were eight souls that were saved. That story is told to us in the word or character for ship. Eight mouths were in that first ship. The word also for flood. Now, the very first time a flood is introduced in scriptures, what does it tell us? That the waters covered how much? The whole earth. Notice the characters. Waters covering the whole. Just as it is declared, the waters were on the face of the whole earth. It tells us of a universal flood, that it wasn't a local thing. 
The waters covered the whole earth. And that story is told in the character for flood. We have indeed the very story that's told to us in our English Bibles and in the Hebrew Bible being told to us in these characters, just as predicted. Is it a coincidence? I don't believe so. Now you come to chapter 11, specifically chapter 10 and 11, but more specifically chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel or Babel. Is that story also told? It sure is. Notice the word for tower. Again, three characters make up this character, this word, ta, tower. Those three, mud, grass, and joining or unity. Now, what does Genesis chapter 11 tell us in regard to this tower? That there were people who came together and said, let us build a tower, a city and a tower. And what did they do? They took mud, and they took slime for mortar, right? And they made bricks. And how do you make bricks? You mix mud with grass or stubble. That's how you make a brick. Now, interestingly enough, bricks are not used all over the world. Especially in ancient times, bricks were not used all over the world because it requires clay to do it. And a lot of pers- a lot of areas do not have enough clay to use brick. But there's one area that is almost entirely clay. And it happens to be the, the plains of Shinar. For the first instance where clay is used, where brick is used. And the first time the tower is introduced, it happens to be a tower made of mud brick. Just as foretold in this word for tower. It wasn't a tower made of wood. It wasn't a tower made of any material but mud and brick. The same materials told us in Genesis chapter 11. And it tells us that at that event there was unity. There was a oneness. What does Genesis chapter 11 tell us? Verse 1. That the whole earth was what? The whole earth was of one language. And they said, let us make brick and let us build us a city and a tower. That story is told to us in this character for tower. If you look at the word unity itself, it tells a story. Again, you have three characters. You have the character for people, the numeral one, and the character for mouth. Hmm, where's the first time unity is introduced in Scripture? Genesis 11.1. 1. And what does it tell us about that unity that was based upon having one language or mouth as it's found in the original? The story is being told us very clearly. The whole earth was of one language. And our last in this section is the word or character for to confuse. What do you suppose it tells? It tells the story of a tongue that is bound or bent, twisted. What did God do at that time? How did he confuse 
Well, the first time the word confuse is used happens to do with the tongue, with language. That story is told to us in the word confuse. Now, all of these could be passed off as mere coincidence, but I don't believe in such. I think the evidence proves that the prediction is true, that the story told us from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11 is indeed told us in the characters of the Chinese language. And it's significant because that language was cut off from the Western world for millennia. Thousands of years, they were disconnected from the Western world. They had no influence from Christianity. But yet we find these characters existing in their language long before the Christian or the the Hebrew Bible came into existence. This story was told in the very characters that they use today. I don't believe that to be a coincidence. I I believe it to be an evidence that what the Bible tells us is true, that it is what it claims to be, that its story is no fable, but the true record of what actually happened, which these people set down in the characters of their own language, that that story would never be forgotten, that it would be retold from generation to generation. And it's sad that it has not been. It has, to large part, been forgotten. Many of the Chinese people themselves do not realize that that story is told in their own language with the characters that they use every day in their own common speech. Therefore, the name of it shall be called, or is called, Babel, or Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. He twisted it. He changed it. He altered it. Just as the character tells us of a bent tongue. Now I want to end with one final thought. Perhaps the most important character in the Chinese language. Not only does it tell us of creation, the garden, the fall, the first murder, the flood, and the Tower of Babel, but it tells us something else that was instituted at the time of the fall. And it's the character for righteousness. Yi. That character is made up of two characters. It tells what God did in consequence of man's sin. The first is the character for the Lamb. The second is the character for me. And notice where the lamb is. It's over me. Righteousness, or also the word for justice, God's justice, was that he sacrificed his son for us. The blood of the lamb of God was shed for us. And that story is told in the character for righteousness. It talks about a lamb over me. And that story is only told in the Bible. It wasn't known outside of it. But yet, the record of God's provision for the sin of mankind is told in the word for righteousness. 
And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord, our righteousness. The Lamb of God. In Psalm 119, verse 160, the psalmist wrote, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Do you believe that? Not simply because someone has told you. But God has provided evidence, physical evidence, that testifies to the truth of his word. He's left it on record that we might know. God has not left himself without witnesses as to the truth of what Scripture declares. It's not simply a fable as men have said it is. It is a true record of the history of mankind. And there are many other characters that could have been brought in to show this. But when I began to see this, my heart was moved. And I realized that God has not left himself without a witness. And I knew that the statements that were made were not simply hot air. They weren't simply fables or traditions of men, but they were truths, records of facts that actually happened. And those events, as you have seen, have been recorded in the Chinese alphabet. And I believe recorded in other languages as well, though many of them a lot more obscured and altered over time, largely because of their connection with uh, Western society. But what I find most interesting is that God has left this on record in a place where it would be least expected to be found. But yet there it is, staring us right in the face. And God is saying, here I am. And what I have declared is true. Would we believe it? Shall we close with a word of prayer? Our Father, how great Thou art. Father, Thou hast not left Thyself without witness, without testimony. Father, we know because we have believed. And we see the evidence all around us. But we know that our belief is not simply based upon our feeling or the emotions that we may have, but it is based upon fact. We know thy word is true. We have seen it to be true. We know it is true because it accords, it agrees with the facts themselves. And I pray, Father, that our eyes may be opened to see that our faith may be established not simply upon our opinion, upon what we would like to believe, but upon evidence, proof. I thank Thee for leaving this evidence and many others for our faith, that our faith may be established not only upon Thy Word, but upon the evidence, the witnesses that testify in harmony 
with that word. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this, it is because there is no light in them. And we see that the witness we have looked at today testifies in harmony with the law and the prophets. And we thank Thee for that testimony. And Father, I pray that if there are any that can hear the sound of my voice, those who may still be in the valley of decision, those who are in their mind not sure as to whether Thy Word is truly what it claims to be, I pray, Father, that they may see and believe that their hearts, Father, may be changed as behold an evidence of the truth of what Thou hast declared. And I pray that if there is anything in our lives that is hindering us from believing with all of our hearts those things that are written, that Thou, Father, will remove that blindness from us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and believing hearts that we too may know and believe and that that belief may change us from the inside out. Father, I thank Thee. In the name of Thy Son, Jesus, through whom all these things are possible, I thank Thee. And pray and ask that Thy will be done, that Thou, Father, will up, continue to uplift Jesus upon the cross. Continue to uplift Thy Word before the people, that they may see and have their eyes opened and know for themselves, not simply because they have been told, but because they have seen the evidence. And I thank Thee for it. And do ask all of these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Standing on the Platform of Truth.